as you see here on the uh, banner hanging up there. And Evan shared something last week that I took note of, and it was, joy is an outward expression of gratitude. Joy is an outward expression of gratitude. Now, uh, the video you just saw was made by the company that employs me as a health and wellness video for the month of December. And after seeing this video, some of my coworkers, some even showed up today to see this, so thanks for coming. <laughs> Appreciate that. Uh, after seeing this video, my coworkers said, so all you do is walk around, play with your phone, sit by your Chuck Norris calendar, and look at pictures on your PC. <laughs> and you still get paid? No wonder you're grateful. So, uh, in my defense, uh, that three-minute video you just witnessed uh, was a culmination of a five-page essay, two hours of interview, and one hour of videotaping. In the middle of the, the interview, I just had to, to say to him, you know, I would be dishonest if I didn't tell you where the source of gratitude comes from. And I proceeded to give him a 15-minute discourse on salvation through Jesus Christ and the power of his spirit at work in me, which was boiled down to two words, my faith. You know, it was nice uh, to be chosen as a spokesperson for gratefulness. They made this video and they posted it on the corporate homepage so that anytime somebody signed under the computer, there I was. Gratitude, dude. And uh, they made these posters and they posted them all over the company. I am plastered everywhere. So we're all looking forward to next year when those come down. You know, as I'm walking through the company in the month of December, I kind of feel like the My Pillow guy. It, people look at me and they look at that poster and they're going, "Oh, you're that guy." And I had a lot of concern when I first saw that. I thought, "Oh, what in the world have I done now?" The first time I have a bad day, I'm going to get hassled big time about being ingratitude, dude. Uh, but then I realized God gave me a great accountability tool. Why should minor circumstances affect my walk with Christ? They shouldn't. And so I had a great accountability tool, and I, I have every reason in the world to be grateful. I have every reason in the world to be grateful. But the truth is, I'm not really gratitude dude. I'm an imposter. I found as I studied uh, the text for today in, in Colossians that Paul... The Apostle Paul is the real gratitude dude. Paul mentions gratefulness seven times in the letter that he wrote to the church in Colossae, and that stands out to me because he was in prison when he was writing this letter. When he wrote his letter to the Philippians in chapter 4.12, he states, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. That secret is, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. The source of gratefulness is dying to our desires so that the peaceful, contented spirit of Jesus Christ can flow through us. I've also heard it described as yielding my personal rights and expectations to God. That is completely counterculture to the way that we live. It's a completely counterculture for today's society. 
And the Apostle Paul was our role model. So let's dig into Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Uh, this is found in page 1834 in your pew Bible, if you'd like to look it up. I'll give you a moment. That's page 1834, 1834. He begins in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love that binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and through all psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now the context for this passage I didn't read the first part of, of Colossians chapter 3, but Paul starts out the, chapter of Colossians, or the third chapter by saying, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. Paul identifies these things as springing from our old wicked selves before we were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. When we accept Christ's sacrifice in our place, then these are the evidences of the earthly nature that we're now free of. We don't have to live in those anymore. Instead, he gives us the description from 12, 17, uh, 12 through 17 of how to walk. So beginning with verse 12, uh, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Paul refers to us as chosen people. Holy and dearly loved. Chosen people, holy and dearly loved. I know sometimes we don't feel like it, but that is who Christ Jesus has said that we are. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you've given life, your life to him, you're a chosen people, holy and dearly loved. That is the position that Christ has attained for us through his sacrifice on the cross. Our sinfulness has been replaced with his holiness. As believers in Jesus Christ, that is our position in his kingdom. Now, our condition may feel different. The enemy may be attacking and accusing us. We may be walking in sin and in need of repentance. Our condition may or may not be reflective of our position, depending on what we are choosing to believe. But the truth is, we are holy and dearly loved. Those who are in Christ are holy and dearly loved. Our holiness is achieved by way of dying to self, in other words, by giving up on our own ability to do what is right and good, that we might benefit from Christ's holiness. 
And we're not dearly loved because we're holy. We are dearly loved because that's what God has chosen to do. His unconditional love is not dependent upon our holiness, but it's only through holiness that we can experience the deepest relationship with Christ. Sin or a lack of holiness interferes with that communication. And suddenly God seems distant. It shuts down the channels of communication and we feel alone. But that relationship can be quickly restored when we humble ourselves and turn back to Him. We have every reason in the world to be grateful as believers in Christ. Now the phrase dearly loved stands out significantly to me. You see, until we are fully convinced of God's love, we will not be able to trust Him completely. And we will not be able to put on things like compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And if I were not fully convinced of God's love for me, I might as well stop talking and sit down. I would be wasting my time here. After my first marriage, I started to fall apart. After it started to fall apart, I went through a long period of time where I was angry at God. I tried my hardest to be a godly man, a loving husband, a good father, a dependable source of income, and after all my service to and worship of God, I felt like he had abandoned me. That he hadn't heard my prayers and that he didn't really care what happened to me. But eventually I started to come to an understanding of his love. That even though he had given free will to those who had wronged me, he did so because he also loved them and he wanted them to experience a relationship with him too. When they chose not to pursue the ways of Christ, that affected me. But it did not mean that God loves me any less. The more time I spent with him, the more I began to realize just how deeply he loved me and cared about what I was going through. He really did have my back, though sometimes not in ways I'd initially thought he would. I discovered that until you are 100% genuinely convinced of his love, you will not be able to trust him. Until you are 100% genuinely convinced of his love, you will not be able to trust him. But when you know he loves you, then you can start trusting him for more and more and more. And you will want to love him back. You will find that like me, you have every reason in the world to be grateful. The word clothed used here means to wrap yourself in, like putting on a garment. And here are the things that we are to wrap ourselves in. I'm going to give you some simple definitions because they bring the words to life. Compassion. Concern for the sufferings and misfortunes of others. Kindness, being friendly, generous, and considerate. Humility, a modest view of one's own importance. Gentleness, being kind, tender, or mild-mannered. And patience, the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. Now, does that sound like a person you'd like to spend your time with? It does me. It sounds like the Spirit of Christ. And this is the Spirit that flows through you and I when we die to self. We can't conjure this stuff 
up on our own for an extended period of time. It comes by submitting to Christ and allowing His Spirit to flow through us. This is what real Christians look like. They have concern for the sufferings and misfortunes of others. They are friendly, generous, and considerate. They have a modest view of their own importance. They are kind and tender. And they can accept delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. And I get tested on that one all the time at work, don't I, Melissa? (laughs) Yes, I do. Uh, Moving on in the text, Paul says, uh, verse 13, uh, says, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So it starts with this word, bear with one another. And when I looked that up, there was a special little surprise in the definition. To bear with means to be patient with others as they do or finish something. That's being patient with others as they do or finish something. Now, not every one of us in the church is the same age spiritually. Some are pretty mature, some not quite so much. And when Paul wrote the letter to Philippians in chapter 1, verse 4 or 5, he wrote, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The day of Christ Jesus hasn't come yet. There's still time for all of us to mature even more, to become the person God intended us to be when he created us. There's still time for God to complete the good work he's began in you. He has provided the way He has provided the way in the person and spirit of Christ Jesus. It's a process. Now, if God had known that we would completely submit to the Spirit of Christ, never to revert to our old nature again, he never would have given us verses like 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, we bear with each other. We are patient with each other as we all move towards maturity in Christ together knowing that none of us have completed that journey. When we view people physically, we do not expect a small child to act like an adult. And a person who is young in their faith probably is not going to act like someone who has walked in a relationship with Christ for many years. And those of us who have enjoyed a relationship with Christ for a considerable amount of time still have so much to learn. Here's an example. Just the other day, I was preparing for a meeting that I knew would be difficult, but I felt the joy of of Christ just whelming up in me so enormously that I couldn't stop smiling, and I realized that I was was entering that meeting with a greater level of confidence simply because of the joy I found in Christ. There's a phrase that I've heard my whole life and never understood. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. All of a sudden, that phrase finally made sense to me. It only took 60 years. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I do have every reason in the world to be grateful. 
So we bear with each other and we forgive each other, just as we have been forgiven through Christ. We are to forgive forgive as we have been forgiven. I just read a little bit ago, uh, when we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive, and therefore we are expected to do the same for each other. Continuing on in our text, in verse 14, it says, And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I looked up a secular definition of love just because I was curious, and it means a strong affection for one another arising out of kinship or personal ties. Now, somehow this definition just seems to fall incredibly short of the kind of love that Scripture talks about. If we really want to understand what love looks like, we have to go to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. Now, in the book of 1 Corinthians, it was a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Right in the middle of the letter, uh, and it was about church problems, is why the the book was written, Uh, Paul adds an entire chapter explaining how one body has many different parts and how they should work together. But then he says, and this is my paraphrase, wait a minute, we can resolve all of these issues with one most excellent way. And he penned 1 Corinthians 13, a beautiful passage. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. It's the garment of love. Put it on. Love is the fuel for compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Allow the love of Christ to flow through you, and these others will follow. Now, in verse 15 of our text, Paul writes, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And then here it is, and be thankful, one of the seven times. Now, lately it seems I've been struggling to define what spiritual things I've read about all my life look like. I don't know if that ever, you've gone through that. But I've been trying to find words to make them relevant. On Wednesday nights, we're trying to help the high school students understand what God's love looks like. We spent a whole semester on that. Through this process, I found that it helps me to ask God the question and then start writing down the thoughts that he gives me. So what does the peace of Christ look like, I asked. The answer was, read the Gospels. Look at Christ's patience with the crowds of people and with his disciples. Look at his absence of worry and anxiety. See his alertness to the needs of others. Notice the lack of fear. This is what the peace of Christ looks like. And scripture tells us, let it rain. Let the peace of Christ take over your hearts. You know, fear is one of my greatest enemies. I'm going to give you a little personal testimony here. 
when I start taking responsibility for things that are not mine to worry about and begin to fear for their outcome, I freak out. Which is the opposite of what I just read, the peace of Christ ruling in my heart. In the past, I've noticed this phenomena has happened to me when I'm taking international flights. Now, any of, the, any of you who have flown in and out of Lincoln know that missing a flight automatically means an overnight stay in some exotic place like Newark Airport. <laughs> and I fear that, for good reason. One time coming back from Spain, I picked the wrong customs line. The one I didn't pick actually moved fairly rapidly, while the line I was in stagnated, of course. I knew I had a short layover, and I started to freak out. Eventually, long after the other line had emptied, my turn came up, and both customs agents went on break. As I waited, the other line began to fill up again, and eventually, the agent for that line was the only one to return. I panicked, I swore, and I charged through that rope barrier like an angry bull pushing the other people out of the way, declaring that I was going next. Not proud of that. Believe it or not, at that moment, the peace of Christ was not ruling in my heart. By the grace of God, I did catch my flight right before the doors closed. Just another example, though, that I do have every reason in the world to be grateful. Even when I have acted shamefully, the God still demonstrates his goodness to me and grants me repentance. So what's ruling in your heart? The things mentioned at the beginning of Colossians 3? Anger, lust, bitterness, fear, folly, selfishness? Replace it with the peace of Christ. Choose to let that rule in your hearts instead, and gratitude will naturally flow from the new joy you will experience. I promise. Verse 16, going on, reads, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Now, Paul says to teach and admonish with all wisdom and this is a high calling and requires that we pursue the source of wisdom, which is God. We can do so through the study of his word and through prayer. Excuse me. And we can let the message of Christ dwell among us richly when we gather together and share with each other what God has been teaching us. We do that in Sunday school, and we do that in small groups, and it's a valuable thing. I have a caution and a hope for you all. Let's start with the caution. High intelligence does not equate to wisdom. High intelligence does not equate to wisdom. It's possible to be a very intelligent fool. Intelligence is a gift, but if you are not gifted in that way, there is hope for you because you can still obtain wisdom. My wife, who most of you know, uh, Ms. Catherine, also happens to be wise, uh, but she's been gifted with a much greater intelligence than I have. 
Now, compatibility-wise, that could be a problem, except that she accepts my attempts to gain wisdom, and it greatly aids in our compatibility. And though she is very intelligent, she also pursues wisdom, and I'm drawn to that. And when you look at my wife, you can plainly see that I do have every reason in the world to be grateful. She's been a wonderful gift. As God's people, we are called to pursue wisdom. It is the only way we will become more like Christ, the source of all wisdom. And part of the process is interacting with one another and sharing the wisdom that we're discovering. So how can I describe what Paul might have meant when he wrote, admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit? A rather confusing passage. Well, back before there was internet, back even further than that, before copies of the printed word were readily available to common worshipers, other forms of communication, such as music, were used to teach and admonish the saints. Now, in our church, Miss Sherry Staswick uh, uses Praise Kids music to teach our children Bible verses in much the same way. And it is effective. I know because when I first met my wife, she had difficulty time, a difficult time reciting verses without singing the Praise Kids version. <laughs> However, that is no longer the case, as she and McKenna have put forth a concerted effort in memorizing a lot of scripture over the last couple of years. But every so often, I will mention a verse, and that will cause McKenna and Miss Catherine to simultaneously break into the same little song. Music about Christ, the message of Christ, is effective. The word admonish means to express warning in a gentle, earnest manner, or to give friendly, earnest advice or encouragement. That's to express warning in a gentle, earnest manner, or to give friendly, earnest advice or encouragement. And that is part of our worship process together, when we sing hymns and contemporary worship songs. Now, I'm a preacher's kid, which explains a lot of things. Uh, and so growing up, I learned a lot of hymns that could admonish. Hymns like Trust and Obey, When We Walk with the Lord, In the Light of His Word, What a Glory He Sheds on Our Way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Last week, Pastor Evan shared with us the first few verses of Psalm 40, and I'd already uh, inserted some of that in my message, not knowing that he was going to use it also. But it's a wonderful passage, and I would like to close uh, with Psalm 43. It says, He, the Lord, put a new song in my heart, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. The new song is the song described here in Colossians 3, what we've just been looking at. It's the message of Christ dwelling in us richly, something the rest of the world will notice, something that will give them hope. As they see the message of Christ dwelling freely in us, they too will want to put their trust in the Lord. I want to extend an invitation to you this morning. 
Uh, I'd like to ask the band to come forward as I'm doing so. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if your life looks more like the beginning of Colossians 3 than the end, and you're ready for a change, please come and talk to me after the service or talk to Pastor Jody. Uh, We would love to share with you the transforming power of life in Jesus Christ. Please come and see us if, if you're interested in that.